Okay. Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined, as always, by my dad, Jack Brinker. How are you doing today, Dad? I'm doing good, Todd. And you? Not so bad. Not so bad. You know, today as we record, it is Indigenous Peoples Day, so there'll be uh, closed banks and no mail delivery. But other than that, I think this this used to be what was called Columbus Day, and they've officially changed it to Indigenous Peoples Day. But... Uh, mm. Um, there won't be, uh, the schools will still go on though. Cause schools, I think they decided a while back that they will go to school on, uh, on, you know, what was Columbus day, but they're not going to go to school on Martin Luther King day. I don't know. These national holidays, it's kind of hard to keep track of who is and who is not actually observing the holiday. Well, and you know, the, just the name indigenous peoples doesn't sound right to me because, mm-hmm. uh, growing up, that was something that, uh, I always associated with Australian and the outback mm-hmm. and here, here we, you know, originally used the term Indian, but, but then they decided that was politically incorrect. And so then it, it went to natives, native yeah. Americans. And yeah. I thought that was the preferred thing that the, that the former yeah. so-called Indians preferred yeah, I, I you know I think indigenous peoples has become more of a generic term, but I, I know what you mean. It was that was used very very much for um, the Australian Aborigines peoples, um, but you know it's kind of become more of a universal term. But you know Native American works as well. I don't think that anybody has said that that's you know not an appropriate term, and that's more specific to um, the indigenous peoples of North America as opposed to just generically indigenous peoples everywhere. But maybe that's why they said indigenous peoples, because they wanted to be an indigenous celebration of native people everywhere. Those who did not immigrate. <laughs> yeah. Right. But more important, more, yeah, more important to me is Columbus day <laughs> because I'm a so, member of the Knights of Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, he anyway. has, he has been, um, uh, in recent years, sort of, uh, his his legacy has been somewhat darkened because of of some of the uh just you know behaviors uh, that were considered uh, uh, uh appropriate by Europeans of that particular time have sort of fallen out of grace um so but you know but you know he, i felt that he's been very effectively defended by the knights because they put out a lot of money into publicity to counter that telling the full story and when you read that you say, oh, well, that's a nitpick, you know? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, again, it was, if you take him in the context of his time, then he was fine. You know, if you try to compare anybody from, you know, a, a uh, of that time period to their, you know, ethics and morals is how, how they well, treated I, people of other places, it's going to be different it, than we would today. And, you know, that nobody's going to, you know, it's it's unfair to, to tra- treat somebody by standards that were not the standards that they were, you know, under when they were living, you know? It, it, exactly. And then they tried to do the same thing to uh, uh, a saint from the, the founder of the missions in California, I mm-hmm. forgot his name now. See, Father Sierra. Francis Assisi. And, and, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Ron, you're right. Not Assisi. Uh, Sierra, but, right. Any, anyway, uh, 
the yeah. Knights of Columbus did the same thing to counter that to get the full story out. Yeah. Uh, but this is basically viewed by the Knights as just an attack on Cath Catholics because both of them are Catholic, very Catholic, and uh, yeah. we're used to that. We've been doing it yeah. for 2,000 years. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I maybe that's how it's viewed by the Knights. I don't see it as an attack on Catholics at all. I think it's just trying. It, it's there's a lot. There's a movement within history to do sort of a historical revisionism and by judging, you know, historical figures by today's standards. And I think that's a a bad choice. Um, but that's you know, it's it's a choice that some people are trying to make. And it's like, well, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but uh, the other reason yeah. that Columbus in particular has, has lost a little shine, too, is because it's become quite clear on, based on evidence that he was not the first European to land on the North American continent. You know, at one and, point in time, and, we thought he, that was he, the history. And, and he gets the blame for that, right? Well, no, it's not that he gets blamed for it. It's just that he shouldn't be getting credit for it anymore. And so he, you know, and so that takes a little shine off of him. And that, you know, it's like at one yeah. time we credited him for being the first guy here. And it's like, it's, you know, archaeologists have pretty pretty clearly shown that he wasn't um right. but yeah. but right. you know it's that doesn't that doesn't take away from the fact that you know he and and a, and a group of guys set off in three little rickety boats and sailed off the edge of the world you know <laughs> off to somewhere <laughs> you know you know and and you know there was a large part of of uh, his lifetime where he still thought that he had gotten to you know somewhere over in the in asia um so i mean he you know he, he wasn't even absolutely oh, yeah. clear sure. you know which is why yeah. we have the name Indians in the first place is because he thought he was somewhere off the coast of India. So, yeah. you know, right. um, but you know, it's, it's, it's part, of, part of discovery. Isn't exactly. It? You know, and it, and it's, and it's, you know, history is by its very nature reflective, right? So you go back and you look at stuff and so, well, anyway, mm -hmm. all of that's not really tech stuff though. Um, no, it's not. Now, last week when we were talking tech, we talked about a uh, an outlining product. We remembered some outlining products that we had from back in the DOS days that we both really liked. And you started playing around with Omni Outliner. You want to share your experiences there? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I paid 10. No, I haven't paid anything yet. There was 14 days free trial with the Omni Outliner. And then uh -huh. at that point, you have to decide whether you want to spend... Uh, twenty dollars. Yeah, I think it was twenty uh, twenty bucks for the basic one, and like fifty dollars for the or forty dollars for the for the pro version. And I'm not sure yeah. what which features delineated what was a standard versus pro version. Well, anyway, uh, I, I had sort of forgotten about outliners, but I've always loved them. I think you know because mm -hmm. I think uh, that's a nice way to to organize information. Yeah, uh, get your thoughts. Get your thoughts. In, in some set, uh, structure that, that makes sense. Right. And anyway, I had gone through this exercise uh, uh, sometime in the past, probably a couple of years ago at least, and looked at several outliners, uh, two of which I ended up downloading. Uh, one of them, well, th three of them, but one of them is a pro version of, of the other one, so it's really one. Mm -hmm. But anyway, after having had... Uh, put together three documents with Omni Outliner, one of them just being a grocery list, because oftentimes uh, when I sit down, uh, certain whole categories that I just forget about, you know, like paper products or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I put these general rough list at the very top and then under them detail the various things you can buy in a grocery store uh, in these categories, proper categories. So 
it's just a memory jogger is what it is. Yeah. And I've, I've yet to put it into practice. I've still got my next grocery thing. I've, I've already looked at it a couple of times and, and it's, uh, it has a click button or so you can make a check mark by each mm-hmm. item. So that's how, how I'll say, yeah, there's something in each category. So then when it comes to actually doing the order, I can expand the whole outliner so you can see everything that I've selected. And then it's just a matter of transferring them into the order form on the, for that store. But, uh, that I did, uh, uh, let's see, that was, uh, uh, another one, the outline, the, the, uh, Omni outliner for whatever reason, didn't have a help file. Hmm. I got, I opened when I first opened it up, I was kind of puzzled. I saw some symbols at the top and the bottom, and, and I sort of started just playing around with it. And as I learned, I just used the outliner to actually create an outliner that's were sort of a help file uh, so that you can see how you can navigate and use the, the outliner. And so that's what I sent you, although I've, I've updated the that pretty considerably since I first sent it out to you. So if you're interested, I'll send you the whole I'm not playing around with it right now, so it won't do me any good. But anyway, I put a date at the top of it so I know how, you know, how long it's been since I changed stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, and then I did another one, and I, I forgot what it was, but uh, I, enough so that I learned how to use it, what its capabilities were, uh, and uh, I liked it quite a bit. There were there was a, not as many... Uh, by, by the way, I judge things by the standard of the very first outliner that, that used to be uh, out before even Windows, uh, I think it was. We yeah, that's why I said there was a DOS day. one, yeah. Um, uh, and I for- forgot the name but, of the one that we used that uh, we liked so much. I'm blanking on it. But, um, yeah, but I any- mean, go ahead. Anyway, that old version had a lot lots of flexibility in terms of how you could control the expansion or contraction of sections or the entire uh, outline and look at only the pieces that you wanted. Because if you get a really enormous outline, uh, generally you don't ever want it all all the way open. You're just using this as kind of a a place to store things like in a library. You want to go to the right section first, you know, and then, then maybe expand some of the things in it, but not all of them. And so that's uh, a feature of Omni Outliner that uh, was there for full expansion or no expansion, you know, collapse it all or expand it all. Mm -hmm. But it didn't have the detailed uh, ability that I was looking for of expanding. uh, uh, Yeah, you should be able to expand under every, anything under under the the subservient to a specific header should be able to be expanded or contracted individually within the file. It, it did allow you to do that. I mean, it, it, it mm-hmm. facilitated uh, yeah. most of what I wanted. Yeah. But there was a few little things that I, I forgot now how to just. Yeah. Uh, what, well, I've seen some that just was. say everything at this level will, you know. So, like, some of them you can you can uh, click on a, a, a header and everything below it will contract or expand. Um, I've seen right. others where up at the top there's, like, a, uh, a row and that represents each different level. And you can expand or contract the entire level but not necessarily individual levels at, at each time. 
but yeah. uh, but the advantage obviously is that you can contract it and then rearrange or reorder the levels and everything below them moves with the level you know so you can right. organize your thoughts right you can put things down in just whatever order you want but then you can drag them around to to get them into what you feel is the appropriate order which right. you know can be important when you're trying to organize your thoughts to do something yeah now i'll tell you first of all the ma- major application that i like outliners for and and have yet to do at least recently and that is uh i read a lot of books and some books just are so full of good content, but they get lost in all the words of a big book. Right. And I want to go backtrack and create my version of that book in a shorthand way. In other words, I want an outline with only the details that I thought were important in each paragraph mm-hmm. or uh, chapter or whatever subdivision yeah. there is. Now, it'd be nice and if you could so, like um, could just highlight them in the book and then have a way of looking at just your highlights, right? Yeah, and, and the way you start this is that at the hmm. top, you just put all the chapters in the book, right? You know, and then if the if that book happened to be organized so that there's some subheadings in it, then you do those for each chapter, you know? And so you, there's a lot of it that's pretty easy. The structure is more evident in some books than others, uh, but at least they usually have a, a table of contents with that gets you at least the, the top level of the outline. So, uh, but then as you read... Uh, it, instead of underlining it in a book, and then you got a book full of garbage, uh, <laughs> and sometimes you change your mind about things, and then you can't undo it if it's a if it's a textbook, but if it's an electronic book, you can. And I have some electronic books that I've marked up that way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, there's a there's a couple books at least that I will spend the time to reduce back to a a nice outline right. with uh, the key things out of it. And I think that's very useful, useful because then I can go back to that book and, and be sure that I've got the meat of what that's all about mm-hmm. because you forget, you know, you, you read yeah. a lot of books. Yeah. You're kind of creating like your own cliff notes of the, of the what's important within the book. And yeah. it's better than cliff notes because it's custom to you. Right. So now I don't, anyway, I don't oh, go ahead. Anyway, I, I hadn't mentioned the one other uh, outliner that I had used in the past, and that was called Cloud Outliner. And as I recalled, one of the benefits of that and the reason for the name Cloud Outliner was that in, in addition to doing it personally, if you wanted to get online with somebody else who had a Cloud Outliner, mm-hmm. it had the ability to do group think, if you will. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, like a Google a of, Doc, but for outlining, huh? Yeah, a, a lot of people, or there's a... Uh, in the industry, uh, another instead of using the term outliner, uh, they they talk about the same th- structural and capabilities, but in terms of a a uh, thought uh, exercise. It's how to uh, to organize your thoughts. You know, instead of organize, it could be like a out of a book, but more g- generic than that, and and that. It's a way, and, and, and basically it derives from what used to be bubble charts, where then people would draw lines between the charts to, to show the connections and, and put arrowheads on them if, it, if one led to the other and was a direction, you know, at that minute going to a lower, from a higher tier to a lower tier if you had an arrow between the two. Uh, mm-hmm. But 
anyway, it's this, this thought process. And if you, if you have a group that's discussing some new topic and as you get ideas, you can work together on this thing and, and, uh, and comment on each other's stuff. And that's what cloud outliner was intended to do. But yeah. I, I didn't spend as much time with it then. And, and now even because it was more than, than I wanted to deal with. I wasn't planning to do group type mm -hmm. of projects. Yeah. Even, even though it was quite capable. So anyway, now I have yeah. a third outliner. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's an issue with, with apps in general though. It's like in order to continue to provide value, the, and the developer continues to work and add features. And at some point the feature creep becomes so, so complex that people look at the app and go, well, that's not just a simple, straightforward, I want to do this type of app anymore. Now it's an app that does, you know, 47 different things way beyond what I really want and need. And, you know, I, sometimes I think that uh, something, you know, like the, the way that the Omni Outliner people have done it, where they split it and say there's a basic version, and then there's the more advanced version for all these other features we added in that you may not even need. So... Right, you know. right. So that that had something to do with a different pricing. Uh, you could buy the mm -hmm. full super deluxe thing, which automatically, if from your outline, would would uh, convert it to another view. Uh, uh -huh. And I forgot what that was, but uh, but yeah, it, it would translate the, automatically right. for you. Well, and that's the issue, right? What is included in the basic one versus the 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 more pricey pro version of something? You know, and the decision about which features go where, you know, sometimes they're done because it's like, well, the basic one will fee meet the needs of a lot of people. Sometimes they're done very specifically so that you'll look at the one that's basic and go, well, it has most of what I want, but I really need this one feature. And so now I got to buy the more expensive one. And so, you know, they they right you know sort of i don't want to say a bait and switch but they sort of use the the cheap one as a teaser because it really doesn't quite do what you want to do and you know i mean i guess each developer has to make their own decisions about what makes sense for them but uh um yeah uh, yeah you know can, can you can you think of any other uses for the outliner that you that you've uh, used it for um, you know, when I'm putting together uh, uh, presentations and stuff very often, um, especially if I have a lot of time to do it, I will start putting things into sort of an outliner type of format or outliner app because then I will move things around a lot. You know, it's like I'll, as I'm coming up with what I want to talk about, I'll say, no, these, this should go here and this should go there. And so I shuffle things around a lot. And, you know, and then I usually have a lot of sub bullets below below the main topics. And then that gets moved into something like a, um, you know, a um, uh, presentation app like Keynote or something. Um and so that's kind of where I, I use some of that stuff. By the way, uh, if anybody's interested, we talked about briefly about using highlights and how you can view your highlights, uh, you know, if you're reading a book. If you happen to use ebooks that are Kindle books, which are the dominant ebook provider online, um, there's a way to view your Kindle highlights. And I will be covering that in a subsequent uh, topic on Two Minute Tech. So those of you who are listening here if you're interested in the two minute tech podcast they're literally two minute episodes uh and they're just sort of how to's and so um i'll be covering how to view your highlights so if you're reading a book and you highlight something because you think it's important or interesting or if you're using it as a textbook because there are some e-kindle textbooks that people are using when they're going to school being able to go back and look at those out of the context of the book just look at the things that you highlighted gives you that sort of summary that you were looking for 
and you can do that uh, online. So um, check out Two Minute Tech and look for yeah. that episode. So, by, by the way, that happens. That happens to be a feature of some very specific books. For example, I mm-hmm. I have a, a a little thing where you can uh, bring up your your notes and memos from mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bible uh, sections, and it's automatically then associated, you know, mm-hmm. con- connected back to the Bible, so that you always have that context. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's a book that a lot of people, you know, go through and, and highlight um, specific passages and stuff when they're when they're doing studying. And so, um, you know, the uh, the ability to pull out to not just have to go back through and page through and find your your uh, highlights, but to be able to pull out just the highlights and and then right. uh, review those um, is a great method of of learning. And so, um, you know people who use the highlight feature i'll tell you on my kindle i more often use the highlight by accident than anything else (laughs) (laughs) i'll I'll accidentally leave my finger on something and suddenly i've highlighted it and then i have to tap it and unhighlight it again because it's like i don't highlight that much but uh at least intentionally but uh i accidentally do it seems like all the time so that's that's a frustration for me but um by by the way well before i get too far away from the uh, outliner thing. I do want to mm-hmm. point out one gotcha associated with the Omni outliner, mm-hmm. and I just about forgot about it. But and that is is that you can outdent from from you know uh, wherever you are. Where, right. You s- select a piece of text. Move something to a higher there. order instead of a lower order, right? Yes. yes. And if you hold the button down, it'll just go all the way to the left. You know, the highest level, and. The, the downside is is that when you try to go back now, if you unintentionally did that, as soon as you start to go back, everything that was under it goes back now with it. So it picks up stuff that's that was that's that you don't want to move. And I forgot how I could you could get out of that, but it was a nasty thing basically. Uh, and that's that's a problem you got to watch with all programs. There's gotchas in just about every app you can think of and there may be some with those older outliners too that because i haven't gone back and reviewed those to the extent that i have the omni outliner uh recently so Mm -hmm. uh they they may have had some flaws like that that i just don't recall because i haven't used them you know it's the kind of thing that you discover when you accidentally get your finger on the key and things go start going wrong you know and and you get in a position that man how did I get here? Or you maybe recognize that you did it with your finger, but it, it was unintentional. And, and how do you get get back? You know, it's not as easy as just saying back up because that creates an even worse problem with in the case of the Omni Outliner because being a hierarchical system, you get over, clear over to the left or even to the left too far. Mm-hmm. And if, if you touch that thing in the wrong way, it drags the rest everything below it as being uh now subservient to it right and so Which... that that's uh that's that's not good sometimes you, you got to be able to undo that attachment so yeah anyway. i mean generally you want the stuff below a bullet point to move with the bullet point but sometimes i guess sometimes you, don't, you don't so and so yeah sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't so, hey, um, by the way, I just shared with you uh, from the folks at Omni Outliner, if you go to the webpage and go to help, 
at the Omni Group, uh, all of their apps have a full uh, uh, HTML web-based uh, help file, and it's pretty detailed. And they have one for Omni Outliner Essentials, which is the more basic version of it, and they have one for Omni Outliner Pro, and they have separate manuals for whether you're running the iOS version versus the macOS version. So... Um, uh, and then they also have manuals for previous versions. There's a link there, so you can go back if you're using an older version. And that's true. They have those for, for all of their applications on one page. It's just uh, support.omnigroup.com slash manuals. And, so, uh, and they've got them in English, German, Spanish, French, Italian, several Asian languages that I can't read, uh, and uh, Netherlands and... It looks like maybe Russian. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they've got a yeah. There's there's a lot of support help there if you go looking for it. So, is is this one's for the Mac that you sent me? I is sent you two. The first I just said that I sent you two. The first one was for oh. the Mac. Um, then, uh, well, I guess there's the there's on the Outliner 4.5 for Mac user manual that I found in one place. But if the last one I sent was for iOS. What I noticed too is that with Omni Outliner, the Omni Group has they number things. You know, is, is like each one that's out. So like Omni Outliner for Mac is Omni Outliner version five is the most recent version, but on iOS mm-hmm. they're on version three. Um, yeah, I kind of wish that they would just number them all together so you knew which ones were like the latest. You know, the latest version is the same number, but but you know that's their business, I guess. Yeah. But so three is the most recent version on iOS, and five is the most ver- recent version on Mac. But apparently, Omni Outliner four is still a uh, valid version because it's listed as their, um, you know, cr- as a current version here instead of as a uh, uh, previous version. Oh, I see what it is. The, the the version four is the most recent one that they have in the EPUB format, so you can download it. Yeah. Whereas five is just a, five is just a web version. So, and I'm sure that most of the features are the same, you know, they just add to, so you just might not be covering some of the newer features. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, uh, but they've got a lot of, there, there is a lot of support there. So, um, you know, if, if it's not, I, I don't know why it wouldn't be, you know, like clickable as a help file within the app, but, uh, if you want the information and you, and you want some, you know, something you can kind of browse through to kind of point you in the right direction to get certain things done. Um, you know, they've got, they do have that there for you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So one of the articles, okay. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, yeah, I, I had, uh, I was aware of this file. Oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, I, I discovered it late okay. know, after I had already done a lot of work. Right. And, uh, it didn't seem to have the attention to detail on the the document page, so um, there's that that section of their uh, book here or their their documentation uh, just didn't go far enough. Yeah, wasn't or, or at least my, it wasn't organized in a way that was telling you the specifics of that you wanted to know. They were making certain assumptions that weren't uh, documented well. Yeah. So yeah. And, and anyway. It, it it spends a lot of attention on the stuff that I thought was obvious, like the document browser. You know, I mean, that's normal file kind of stuff. Right. There's certain things you don't need help with, you know. Right. 
So I, but yeah, don't tell me what the file menu, the file menu does. I know what's under a file menu. Every app has one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, it's, it's useful to have this. I'm not. The, the, right. I just think it needed a little bit of uh, doctoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. Um, and, and by, and by the way, that's, I can't say that I blame the company for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have come to recognize over the years that no matter what you do, everybody has uh, coming from a different place. It's and we wear different right. colored glasses, so to speak. You know, there's the rose-colored glasses that make mm-hmm. things look all rosy and wonderful, and so forth. Yeah. And so it, it's just that I come to it with a different uh, perspective than, right. the, than the person who wrote this document. You know, right. Yeah. Well, your background. history and background's different than the next guy's history and background, and so right. things you know you you intuitively know how to do certain things because of your experiences, and that other person will know how to do different things. And so writing the perfect yep. set of documentation, I mean, you're not literally going to write out step by step how to do everything you can possibly do in an app. That's that's nuts, right? And so, yep. uh, you know, hopefully that when when you're as a designer, when you're creating an application, you sort of make a lot of the functions and features discoverable so that, you know, people can kind of dink around and figure out the major functions of something. Um, you know, that said, some apps are more complex than others, too. So, um, you know, the Omni folks have been around a long time, especially on the Mac side. And so in that area, they they um, have things down pretty, pretty tight. Um, you know, iOS is is a newer, um, yeah, newer operating system, and so you know, there's been a lot of uh, apps that have had sort of fits and starts as iOS has progressed to kind of figure out. Even iOS itself, the operating system has had some fits and starts in terms of like, you know, we're going to have a file manager, or we're not going to have a file manager. Whoops. Okay, now we've created a files app so you can manage files. You know, and. And, oh, you yeah. run one app at a time. Well, we're going to create a way to, to run more than one app at a time because we realize some people want to call things up in a browser and then type something else into <laughs> a different app at the same time. And, you know, lo and behold, you've got to have two apps running then. And so, uh, yeah. and that's just one example. You know, there are, there are reasons to have more than one app running at a time. So, By, by, by the way, I tell you what I, what, what I said earlier, primarily because of an experience very early in life where I was working uh, – I had built an editor assembler and system monitor for the Altair 8800 that was right. sold by by the uh, uh, maker of the Altair 8800. Yeah, okay? it's and 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 then no sooner did they start selling it than they got demands for something that some instructions on how to do it. So man, I was under gun to quickly, quickly. You know, we want mm-hmm. it now. <laughs> yeah put together this document that we were going to send out to all the people that who had bought that uh, tool that I sold. And uh, so I put together one and because I was in a hurry, I'll have to confess that, you know, it wasn't as good as it needed to be. Right. So I, you know, revised it two or three times and the company president was starting to get mad at me. So yeah. could she, can't but- you ever get this thing right? You know, Oh, well, but it's yeah, it's, exactly. It's it's a no win situation, <laughs> right? Because you don't know what questions people have till they ask the questions, right? I mean, it's right. so you're doing your best to sort of explain your thinking as to how things were put together, but uh, um, you know, and to be anyway. honest, and to be honest, I mean, in the early days, you know, the developer did it all, but those are actually two separate skills. 
you know, yep. creating yep, creating software and then explaining to people how to use software are not the same thing. <laughs> Anybody who, yeah. who tries to, to, you know, do one is probably not going to be as good at the other, um, you know, just because by, that by, different interests. By, by the way, what kind of ticked off? Picked off the president was when I reminded him of the pressure I was under to get that first document out. <laughs> he didn't want yeah. to be told. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, so, well, you called me on Monday and said you need it by Wednesday. I mean, <laughs> I gave you, you know, 10,000 words. Come on. Uh, <laughs> so I may I, not I have spelled a, everything. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I, I won't say I was upset at the time, but I really did feel the pressure and, was, yeah. you know, to work really hard. To get it right the first time, but it's just not possible. Oh you know, yeah, without yeah. without reviewers and feedback and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Never... No, you were flying flying solo completely back in those days, you know. And uh, yeah. you know, today they've got a staff of people who write the support documents that don't have anything to do with the development. They they're you know staff writers. I mean, it's a, it's right. a standalone job for you know software of almost yeah. any size um you know uh, that that said there are still apps that are you know available especially in the ios store that you know are written by a guy or a a a, a woman you know i mean just a a developer and and so but but invariably i i you go look at the uh, amount of like help files for those one developer apps they're minimal they're absolutely yeah. minimal because they're developers they're not they're not you know sure writers yeah. that They'll... Well, well, the co- the company, in fact, did that. They they rewrote my my uh, document uh, and fixed a lot of you know just spelling and grammatical stuff that. Yeah, hire an editor. Uh, That's I, what they're I for. And uh, and it, I, I admitted that it was a, it was a big help. I wish they'd have been there from the get go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like this is a job for a writer. Give me a writer and <laughs> let them do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I. I was a writer, fortunately. I, I ex Air Force, and while I was an Air Force officer, I I wrote lots of technical stuff. So I, I'm not unaccustomed to technical manuals, but it was just the, the whole circumstance. That, yeah. Uh, well, timeline. You're in. Yep, timeline. However, all of this has to do with uh, the, the the difficulty of technology. There's a lot of details you you deal with on most yeah. technologies that that you've got to. First of all, have a common language. Yeah, a lot of people don't appreciate that. Uh, yeah, well, and you, you, as you point out, you know, you're, a, you were a single developer in that in that instance. Um, you know, so it's, excuse me, even the complexity of a single developer app can can be a lot to try to document all the function and feature of it and how to use it, and uh, you know if you create as apps get more complex with multiple people developing them now you don't even have a single go-to person to explain how that particular piece of the software works because you know now you've got multiple people involved with its creation so um yeah yeah it just you know complexity goes up on every level you know i i go back when you mentioned talk complexity we did this thing when i was in the air force for the entire missile and so everybody had their section of a document, you know. So all the developer, the man, the the uh, managers for different parts of the missile had their mm-hmm. segments. Like I was in the guidance control office, so we had to get a guidance control section. Mm-hmm. And then even within the guidance control section, there was the guy who managed the uh, instrument development. And then the IMU was at a higher level, and the issues associated with that. And then and then another guy had 
developed the flight computer, which was a pretty unique beast in those days. It's not like your general purpose computer today. Right. And so that had to have its own section. So that, that's that I'm familiar with putting together really yeah. large books. This this thing turned out to be, you know, so, uh, something that they couldn't get it all in one book. So they ended up making about three books out of it. Right. Uh, because it was just too big. Well, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but ha- hasn't the military created basically a standardized method for assembling things into a book so that there's sort of an outline of how to how to create these things? Because, yeah, there, there was, there you was. know, that yeah. it, because it's such a complex problem, it's like somebody was set to the problem of, OK, you know, if we've got a book on on this device, we need another book on that device, and a third book on this other device. Shouldn't all the books sort yeah. of be structured the same? So that, yeah. In, yeah. In, in fact, in fact, we had a group in the program office that uh, that was their sole function was to review everybody's inputs and be sure the book was put together in accordance with their four standards. Right. So we had the people that that enforced that. You know. So yeah. Anyway. That's that's the business of being in a large organization and you know doing your share. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Pretty soon you you appreciate lots of things that uh, somebody who's never done it before. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean that's you know that's how you that's the way to, to to tackle complexity, right? Is to break everything down into subsequent parts and assign responsibility in smaller chunks yeah. because. Exactly what outliners do, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. All they needed was an outliner. So, yep. Yeah. So, for years, people have been talking about, you know, I know on bicycles there's ways to do like airless tires. And it seems like Michelin is getting ready to actually make an airless tire available in 2024. They they plan to have one on the market. It's an Uptus, U P T S, that's unique puncture proof tire system. Um, and it doesn't have air. Instead, it's got glass fiber reinforced plastic veins between the hub and the outer tread that support the vehicle rather than air pressure. You think about it, pneumatic tires have been around for, you know, a hundred years or more. And they, I mean, you know, they've, they've changed in terms of like their basic construction, you know, the idea of radial tires and stuff sort of became a thing, you know, uh, initially. And, you know, we went to tubeless tires. But the basic concept of we're riding around on a big bubble of air hasn't changed for ages. You know, and here we are looking at, you know, completely different um, drivetrains for vehicles going to electric uh, motors, regardless of whether they're battery driven or, or uh hydrogen fuel cell driven but uh you know this, it's it's real interesting to hear that somebody's actually think going back and rethinking this and trying to figure out well with today's technology is there a way to make a tire that doesn't have air in it and you know this 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 was something i recall speculating about back when i think it was maybe the 60s 70s i don't recall when they first decided that they would make a spare tire, which was not intended to go more than a mile or two, mm-hmm. uh, but they would make it small. Right. And, and so that was the driving force, but, in all, but they, they didn't want to have to worry about uh, the, that tire uh, losing its air or anything like that. It's ready to go, and so they built an airless tire. So it's not, that's, that was sort of the first ex- reason for, uh, yeah, they had the limited run uh, spares that 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 are are 
you know, airless tires or fully sealed tires at the very least. Um, but they were very much limited run tires and, you know, not, not great traction or anything. You know, they were just like basically limp home. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> what a yeah. banging and crashing I, what, going what on. I, what I think is cool is this photo here showing you can look through the tire. Yeah. You can see the grass on the other side, you know? Yeah, those those veins that they that do the compression and hold the tire up are basically see-through. And what it does is it gets rid of sidewalls. And apparently uh, a good number of tire uh, blowouts and tire failures are through sidewall damage these days because the bottom of the tire, right. the, ra- the you know, the, the, the metal bands and the radial bands in there protect the, the tread you know that's pretty tough, but the sidewalls have to be sort of flexible and squishy, and so that's the the weak point on a lot of tires. And so right. they say that they think they're going to save about two hundred million fewer tires from scrap because there there would be no um, uh, sidewall cuts, uh, and there would be no problems with you know accelerated wear on the tire because the tires are improperly inflated because people ignore the lights on their dash. I hear. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were we on air when I mentioned that I've been driving her with a low pressure? I can't recall. I, I don't remember if we did or not. But you've had the warning light come on. You said, but yes. uh, as we pointed out, though, that a lot of that is due to you know a change in seasons when it starts getting colder out, especially if you go out in the morning when it's still really cold out. Um, you know the air uh, condenses, and so that sometimes if you're uh, if your tires were inflated and they were right near the, the, the trigger point, they will drop below that. So you need to top them off, um, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, but I was looking, I was looking at these and just in my mind trying to think about what it's these new tires, uh, airless tires vulnerabilities might be. Yeah. And one is while they're sitting still, if somebody were to uh, throw something and it stuck through, since you can see through here, it uh-huh. might be easy, to, in fact, for somebody to come along and put a stick in there. You know, can you imagine starting to move and the yeah. stick has, has to break? And you know, the I, spaces look relatively small between those little spokes, though, too. And they and yeah. so I suspect that it would be difficult to put anything big enough that would cause any issues. But it's one of those things that you know, I mean, people can go stick a banana in your exhaust pipe right now. That you know, it's it's. <laughs> It's, you know, there are certain, there are certain vulnerabilities, you know, you go to an electric car, then they can't do that. Right. They list several yeah. questions that they have about these tires here. And one is the weight, you know, um, they're saying, you know, electric cars are already pretty heavy because of battery packs and stuff. And are these going to be lightweight, uh, compared to like an air tire and, you know, the amount of mass to create those veins is probably more than the amount of mass that's used to create the sidewalls in a in a traditional tire. So I'm suspecting that they're not going to be necessarily light tires. Um, but then the other question is, you know, how do they drive? You know, are they, are they going to feel stiff? Are they going to, is it going to be a better ride quality? Is it going to, you know, I suspect like, like uh, pneumatic tires, you're probably going to be able to buy a range of, of different tires, you know, right. Oh, and, yeah. and stiffnesses. And, you know, you would think that they would have to have that tire very specifically fitted not only to the size of the vehicle, but maybe now also to the weight of the vehicle, right? Yeah. You know, because yeah, be if I'm going to put 35 pounds of pressure in a car, I do it generally with the weight of the car on it. So that's adding to the pressure. 
right? right. So, so it's customized. The, the amount of pressure is customized to the weight of the vehicle that I'm filling it up for. Um, but, uh, you know, it, if I don't, if I can't put air in it, I can't adjust that. So that's got to be set right up front. So it'll be a little bit more complex and technical to pick tires. Uh, and it also means that tire stores would have to keep more tires in stock because you not only have to measure tire, you know, have a, a certain size of tire, but a certain, you know, compression or weight capability for each of the different tires at that size. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't know about you, but I, I I think a lot of people don't realize how much the tires have to do with the amount of noise that you get in your car. And so how quiet are these tires going to be compared to, you know, other tires that are out there? And I suspect there's probably that's, you know, a range of those, too. So I'm not sure that's a great question. I, 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 would, I wouldn't think that would be a biggie. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you still have the tread hitting the pavement. And it's going to be about the same. Right. Yeah. That's what I said. I don't think that's a, uh, a terribly important question in that I'm sure there'll be a range of different, you know, hardnesses of the of the uh, tread material, you know, yeah. because the harder ones are more durable, but the softer ones are quieter and more grippy. So, you know, you'll you make those decisions when you buy tires now. And so that'll be pretty much the same, I would imagine. Um, but I do have I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, how will the existing ABS and stability control systems work with these kind of tires, and will that affect them? And that remains to be seen, but I'm sure that the fine folks at Michelin who are talking about doing this uh, have thought that through as well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how well would they deal, like, in weather, you know, versus, you know, wet weather. Versus, I mean, that wet has a lot to do with the tread shape uh, and depth, but like snow. You know, what well, happens if snow well, packs into those veins? And so now your tires don't compress because it's it's they're full well, of snow. I, I, I could see them getting in there and then freezing. You know, if, if, back mm-hmm. if you had water like running against your tire and it started to freeze there. Yeah. Now that, maybe that's not a frequent thing, but it depends on where you live. You know, <laughs> yeah, something that could happen. Yeah. And, and you actually get ice right you know between the vein i mean it's, it's in there it's solid yeah exactly yeah so now you no longer have an air-filled tire or a spring-built tire you have an ice or snow tire or a mud yeah, tire you know there are places can, where you and, get mud and you may be able to get up to 20 mile an hour with a tire that's rock hard you know yeah. <laughs> otherwise it's a lumber wagon <laughs> yeah and if if you've never lived or a hay wagon if you've never been out in a country road or in a hay wagon which is steel tires and yeah. no springs no suspension and, uh, right it's it just bounces down the road and yeah so that that's a very unsafe kind of tire yeah. so and what will they cost well they're they're not going to sell them for much more than they get today I don't yeah there'll be a premium initially because they're unique and different and people will say oh i want that on my car because it looks cool and it's different you know uh, i'm not i'm not sure i'm thinking a lot of people will say uh, well, I'm not going to be the dummy. Will somebody else go out? And oh, they'll they'll be you know when there's something new and different, there'll be somebody out there who's like yeah. who wants to be first. You know, those early adopters will pay a premium to be early adopters, and there'll be limited availability initially anyway, right? So, yeah. you know, well, th- those those early adopters are the ones who will jump on and pay that premium, but, and then if it works out but, that it's not a whole you know boondoggle, then others will join in later. Yeah. By the way, it says blowouts that cause thousands of crashes a year. Now. Of those things, those blowouts, those thousands of crashes, are they really tire blown out because of the tire, or is it because they hit something in the road? More likely the latter. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, tires don't just blow out. Right. They do if you if you put more, too much air in them, and there's a hot day, and it gets yeah. It well, and if you've if you've if they've worn down, I mean, I've seen tires that have worn, and when you look at them, they look okay on the outside of the tire where you see it, but on the inside, it's yeah. worn down to the tread or something, or they'll get a bubble on the on the on the right. you know, sidewall side or something. Wall. And if it's the bubbles on the inside of the tire instead of the outside, you don't see it. And so there's times when tires have blowouts; they're just tire failure after right. a period of time. You know, uh, and, you know, so they, they always tell you, remember when you were learning to get your license, they tell you, you know, you're supposed to, you know, walk around your vehicle and look at yeah. it before you get in it and drive it and, you know, check yeah. those tires occasionally, you know, get on your hands and knees and look at the insides of the tires and, you know, how many people actually do that? The percentage is closer to zero than it is to one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so you know, anyway. If you're driving around and, and something sounds funny, then you stop and you'll like look and see what. You know, but other than that, you know, that, that's right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it works. You know, it worked yesterday. It'll work today, right? Maybe. Right. <laughs> well, and, and and the other one that they didn't make a special line item of is varying road surfaces. Now, to most yeah. people, it doesn't matter because we drive on roads that are fairly well maintained, except for potholes. Yeah, you know, I'd I'd be interested in pothole performance because that's a that, that's a mm-hmm. vagary of, of, of paved surfaces. That yeah, they, well, and especially if you live somewhere where there's uh you know a wet season, because if water yeah. drops down and seeps in, that's when you get a bunch of potholes and roads start to crumble. And so, uh, you know, there are places in the desert southwest you can stick a road out there and it'll be there right there in that same spot. For, you know, there'll be dirt and dust that blows across it. But other than that, the road's going to be there. But uh, you can't say the same in the Pacific Northwest or in the Northeast uh, where right. they get a lot of rain. I know um, uh, in the in, in Flagstaff, Arizona, you think of Arizona as the, the you know, deserty, but Flagstaff is, is at altitude in the mountains. And basically every winter water falls cold. down freezes and breaks up all the roads and then they spend all spring and summer rebuilding all their roads so there's always construction going on to fix the roads yeah. and then the next season the same thing happens and so there yeah. you know there's pretty much a, a year-round process of of scraping snow and then rebuilding roads so flagstaff is a unique area i spent one entire summer there and really thoroughly enjoyed it yeah and then for you got out of there before notice, winter hit. <laughs> for, for, for those who don't really know about Flagstaff, it's one of the two uh, connecting roads that go north to the Grand Canyon. So lots of people that go to the Grand Canyon either go from Flagstaff or from the town west of there. I forgot what it's called now. But anyway, it's smaller than Flagstaff. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful mountaintop town that's... Uh, has a lot of other attractions other than just getting to the Grand Canyon, but yeah. Anyway, that was kind of a side of getting away from technology again. But I'm interested to see when they uh, will actually be out. I didn't see any mention of that. Yeah, they and, said 2024 in the in the headline. So uh, you know they they oh that's where it is. Uh, oh, there's yeah. Okay. yeah they're saying two companies are are have a pin in the calendar to have airless tires on the market by 2024, and they talk about Michelin. They don't talk about who the other company is. So uh, you know, and they talk about the Michelin Uptis tire system, the unique puncture-proof tire system Uptis. Yeah, so, it's uh, probably Firestone. 
Firestone or Gridier or either one. Yeah, of yeah. There's yeah. not that many tire companies out there. <laughs> so, you know, there's more than you would think, though. I mean, there's Cooper tires and Hankook tires Bridgestone. and Bridgestone. Yeah. Well, but, Bridgestone and Firestone, I think, are both the same company now. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. A lot of these have merged. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. You know, they may there's brand names out there, but how many of those are actually you know uniquely separate corporations making separate tires using separate, you know, technological developments? Uh, by, by, by the way, if they're going to sell this, somebody's got to think of a better name than Optus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they probably that's paid a, a marketing firm to come up with that name. That probably uh, cost them you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to have that name figured I, out. I, I just can't believe that that's the way to market something. Yeah. Uh, Although, if you look at the name, you look at the name of the tires um, that are actually out there. Um, is that your dog barking? Uh, could be. I, I, she she left the room. I was going to oh. say just a little while ago she was under my feet. And yeah. She was just having a ball playing with my shoes. Oh. So. Was that I heard I heard some ruckus around there and and I don't know it sounded to me like your your sound quality changed a little bit after you were kind of moving around. So yeah, it could have been. Uh, anyways, but, I just leave the door open because otherwise she'll just scratch. On yeah, the, like, scratch and cry. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. She pretty much has the run of the place. Yeah, I'm. You know, that's why I'm. I'm like that. That I go to my shack out back studio, and there's like uh, air separation between me and my pups because they would do the same thing. They'd sit at the door, and and cry. But if I let them in and close the door, then they would cry. So you got to keep the door open because you know it's like they're never happy uh, where they're at. They always want to be where they're not. Uh, yeah. You know. And these doors weren't made for them to control. So. Yeah. Although I've got one that's pretty good about nosing a door open. If you don't latch it. You know, make sure you get it well latched. He'll he'll get the door open. Yeah. And I've got wiener dogs. You know, there are some people who have big dogs that can, like, reach up and grab. If you have lever-type door handles. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but my dogs couldn't reach. My I do have lever handles, but my dogs couldn't reach it on their best day. So, uh, Well, you got a couple that are pretty long. Yeah, they are, but they're not that long. <laughs> and they're getting old. They can't stand up on their hind legs. I have uh, yeah. you know one one prairie dog or, or one wiener dog that used to sort of do a prairie dog thing where he'd stand up on his rear legs, and you know his legs are six inches long, but he's yeah. you know a couple feet long. <laughs> he would stand up yeah. and literally look like a prairie dog standing up looking around. But as he's gotten older and blind and deaf, his balance isn't what it used to be, so he doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, he, yeah. he prairie dog when he, and and he was the only one who did it. The other two never ever even tried, but he just did it naturally. We didn't train him to do it or anything. He just you know, when he wanted something, he'd stand on his hind legs and balance there. Yeah. So, um, so well, let's see. What's other? We haven't talked a whole lot tech here, uh, or a lot of topics. But one of the other things is that uh, um, reviewers are starting to talk. Well, two things. One is the uh, iWatch sevens or Apple Watch sevens are now shipping, so people are starting to actually get them in in their hands. Um, and you know. I, this year, when they came out with the Apple, the Apple Watch, I don't know if you looked at those or what the, even bothered to see what the features and stuff were. There were no new sensors, so it was no different sensors than were in the uh, Apple Watch Six in terms of like yeah. you know no new things to measure. 
but they did make the screen slightly larger and they changed the type of crystal, the shape of the crystal, so that the, the visual as the image gets to the edge of the crystal will now kind of stretch around to the edge so it looks like it kind of wraps around the screen a little bit. So um, so they've kind of changed the, the display a little bit and apparently they've, they've uh, increased the battery life a little bit as well. Um, or oh, yeah. I, I'm sorry, it wasn't that. It was they also now support quick charging. Um, so if you're going to use your watch as a sleep tracker, um, it now charges like 30% faster. So, um, which I thought was interesting because I've never thought that the watch took very long to charge. Anyway, I thought I've always been pretty impressed at how quickly a watch their their watches go from yeah. zero to 100. You know, I mean, like 40 minutes or so, and and uh, and you're pretty much you know juiced up and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. you know. So- you know, I know some people who um, who use the Apple Watch as their sleep tracker, and they said that they, uh, uh, you know, in the evening before they go to bed while they're they're sitting, they usually sit and watch a little television or something. They said they'll charge it uh, for a few minutes there to top it off, and then in the morning when they get up and take a shower, they they'll set it on a charger for a few minutes. And they said that does it. You know, I mean, I say a few minutes, but that's combined probably forty minutes or so. You know. Yeah. And that's enough. I'm like, all right, that works. So, and the watch does when it's doing sleep tracking go into like a minimal mode where it's not powering the display or anything. All it's doing is just powering a few sensors and logging, you know, your your movements while you're sleeping in order to give you an idea of what that is. So, anyway, if 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 you'd ordered an Apple uh, Watch Seven, they are probably in your hands now or will be shortly. Um, I haven't checked recently to see, like, if you order it today, like, how much of a backlog there is. But it seems like everything has been pushed back to at least a couple weeks right now just because, you know, all the new stuff has just been announced in the last couple weeks. And uh, uh, the only thing that apparently there's plenty of is the entry-level iPad, which, um, you know, they got a a faster processor and... um, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, if you're getting an iP- a basic iPad, you know, you and I like to have all the fancy features and you want the bigger screen and, you know, it's nice to have the, the, the more sort of edge-to-edge design. But just to actually, you know, for actual use, there's really very little difference between the basic iPad and the more fancy iPads. And at three, $324, you can get the basic iPad that has a, um, a uh, faster processor than the its predecessor predecessor um it supports the apple pencil version one which i still think design wise that was a dumb idea where you plug it into the lightning port and it sticks out it just i to me it's just begging to get the uh, the the lightning port busted off the end of the pencil but but uh but uh you know but it works if you want if you want or need a pencil um, it, you know, uh, a version back, it start, it added the little connectors so that you can click it into a, uh, smart keyboard because, um, certain testing requirements for schools require that you have a connected keyboard. And so they added that capability to the basic iPad so that people could use that at school. Um, but, uh, you know, overall it's, it's a heck of a, you know, tablet. I mean, if you want a tablet for basic use, you can sit and use that as your primary reader, as your primary web browser. Um, you know, if you've got a, a Bluetooth keyboard or you get their little click-in keyboard, uh, it's the magic keyboard is what they call it, uh, for the basic iPad. Um, you know, I guess it's 329 bucks. 
and I think they changed the um, the starting memory from 32 to 64 gigabytes now. So, uh, yeah. oh no, they're saying it's still 32 on that one. Okay, so I, I mis I misremembered that, but um, you know, I mean, quite honestly, it's a pretty good device for that price. You know? Yeah, I I think that they've come to the point where they're dominating so much now that there's not a lot of new buyers out there. And they're just trying to get the price down for other to get others in the market. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and I think with this one, they're really trying to keep the price down. I think even if you're from schools, you get it for two ninety nine. So you can get it. You know, if you if you're buying yeah. it for your school, it's it's under three hundred dollars. They're trying to compete with the inexpensive Chrome browsers and say, hey, this is a better choice for you. Of course, by the time you add the um, keyboard in, it's going to be over the three hundred dollars. So it's probably still a little more expensive than the Chromebooks. But, um, you know, and, and I'm not sure I agree with them. I mean, I um, was working at a school when we were looking at devices, and we decided to go with iPads early on. And I think that was the right choice for that particular school and that environment. But mm-hmm. for everybody, I'm not sure that, that a Chromebook isn't necessarily a better way for a school to do things, you know, because you don't have to worry about wiping anything from one person to the next person. Everybody logs in and their, their account is all basically online. And so yep. there's, there's some advantages to that, that feature, that function. Um, that said, you know, I can load the Chrome browser into my iPad and use it just like a Chromebook and have access to all the exact same things. So plus it does so much more, you know. Yeah. I guess it depends on the model, you know, like if you're saying the school says everybody has to have one of these and you're making them buy it, then the iPad makes maybe more sense because it has more value to somebody. But if the school's yeah. buying it and handing them out, then the management of Chromebooks is easier. Well, let me let me say this about that. Mm-hmm. Just a week or so ago, Facebook was down for about what, a day and a half or something, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Something like that. And, and around the world, businesses were just totally had to shut down they could not run their business because they were dependent on the internet and right. specifically on one particular product yeah and therein lies the the, the problem with the Chrome major Book. weakness there are, right there are times in the future where that in fact is going to be a target if we ever come to under political pressure or threatened by enemies yeah uh, electronic stuff is going to go early yeah it'll be a long time and so People don't think of that, you know, the buyers that when they buy it. Yeah. It, it's all about cost mostly. Right. Because they got so much budget and they want to cover more students and, with that money. And sure. so that, that cost carries with it risk, you know. Yeah. Well, and also the, the obvious thing is, you know, a $300 Chromebook is not a high-quality, well-built laptop. You right. know, what is the... have to replace it on a, you know, so... Life cycle cost is what you have to really look at. Right. However, if technology is developing, that's not a bad thing because you expect to get more when you replace it in a couple of years or whatever. Cause it is, yeah, but, but, but these days, is that really the case? I mean, the basic laptop shape and style hasn't changed for well over a decade. Um, yeah. You know. I mean, the, the tablet's about a decade old. I, you know, the, I think that those, those form factors and the, and the constituent parts, there haven't been, like, miraculous changes in that, in that arena, you know? 
I mean, the most miraculous yeah. change I think for for laptops was the switch to ARM processors that Apple has sort of been the leader on. Um, but that to the consumer is irrelevant, right? I mean, as a consumer sure. buying a device, yeah. they don't care what the the guts are. So what has really changed for them? I don't think that I don't view that as a as a developing um, uh, uh, product anymore. Now it's just a product that has refinements from version to version. Uh, yeah. You know, but I've I've had some uh, a you know some one of the highly reviewed uh, affordable Chromebooks, and I mean I take care of my electronics. Usually when I'm done using them, that you you couldn't tell them from a new one. Um, uh, but, uh, it, they're not well-built, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not, yeah. they're not uh, high quality, anything, you know, they're, they, they remind me of the, the $300 netbooks that were out for a while. You know, they're, they're slightly better than that, but not much. Um, you know, and so you compare that yeah. to the, to the basic iPad, the iPad is a well-built device that's going to last you a long time. You know, it will age out after seven or eight years before it, ceases to function in any way uh you know unless you drop it and smash the screen you know if you treat it badly but but uh and of course that's also an issue when you're giving things to kids right so if in in schools depends on the age of the kids you know yep how well are they going to take care of it i can't tell you you know when i was teaching i i I think um you know that there wasn't a classroom that I had that didn't have at least five or six kids whose phone had a completely smashed screen and they were still using it because their parents were like, I'm not replacing that phone again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you give them a new one and they just go smash it. <laughs> like, yep. Okay. Yep. You know, they're kids. They're kids. So, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I kind of, don't even look at iPads unless they're 12 inches anymore because yeah, you like the big one. <laughs> that's yeah. my standard and everything else looks too cramped. I mean, you know, yeah. once you get used to the space. Yeah. You know, that's a knock about them too. Even in the most current version of the iOS, they still haven't changed the size of the icons, the amount of space. It seems to me like there's a ton of wasted space on the iPad screen. Oh, it is. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's, that's kind of dumb. They really need to th- rethink that that whole thing because basically all they did was duplicate the iPhone, and you know it's it's one of those things that in the years that we've had iPads they really haven't done that. You know, I mean, you know w- they introduced widgets and a small uh-huh. widget. A small widget is four times the size of one of your application icons, but they take up the same amount of space, which tells you that the application yeah. icon has way too much empty space around it. Well, just sitting here looking at my home screen, only four columns, you know? I mean, it ought to have five and should have six. Yeah, or you should be able to decide, you know, yeah. default it, but there should be a control panel setting where you can go into settings and say... I say control panel. Go into settings, and you should be able to adjust the display and say, you know, I want bigger icons, you know, with less space between them. You know, that should be an option. I, you know, for maybe four rows is right, but double double the size or or fifty percent increase the size of each of my application icons, so I have a bigger touch area. You know, by, uh, or by the, by, the, by yeah. the way, just by just by getting rid of the names, the words below it. The text, you know, because after a while you do recognize the actual yeah. app. Yeah. And, and and in the toolbar at the bottom, I have 14 going across the base of my screen. 
when it's okay. turned landscape? And, and, no, no, no. It's it's in portrait view. I have fourteen icons. Wow. In my in my thing. Now four of those are are not actual whatever I want. They're the you know recents and, oh, and right. the right ones. The library. The rightmost is the library. That's a new thing. You can touch that and see. Right. Uh, that's I'll new to iOS fourteen fifteen. And and, and 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 now now that's what's amazing. When you touch that one, you you get basically. These are blocks of four over on the app library. Right. And you got four four blocks by four blocks. And within each block, there are... Can be a four block. In the, in the <laughs> minimum case, in minimum case, four. But here's one that's got seven. Right. You can see right in the block itself. So I bring up that block, you know, and you can... And you, by the way, you don't bring up the block and hit it twice. You just hit the little tiny app inside and it brings it up. Yeah, I hit. I just hit health and fitness, and it filled the screen with a six-wide display. So they they take the the library app and it changes the screen what's displayed, and in a in a small space in the middle of the screen, I got three rows. So I got lots of rows still available above and below, but it's uh-huh. six across. Yeah. So. This they clearly know that they can use the space better, but they're not doing it as a default. They're doing it only if you tap on the library app. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what happens when you touch down here in this in the corner where there's the little four little icons. You don't get one of them because they they probably figured they might make a mistake. You know, and get it. Right. Really that's too. Yeah. There. That's too small of a tap area. But that then opens so, the window that has the four in it. Now, now in my particular case. The education one almost fills the screen. I've got this six wide by one, two, three, four, six, six deep. Uh-huh. So there's maybe maybe three three more rows that I could get on that screen. But there's a lot of things because I've got things that yeah. teach music and, and things like that under right. education. Uh, a lot of things classify it that way. So, yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. No, sometime we should sit down and just do it uh, as, as one of our shows, uh, talk a little bit about how we've got our icons organized within our devices, because everybody sort of has a unique way of doing it. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've tried to help my wife fix something on her phone, and I sit down and look at how she's got stuff set up, and it drives me batty because everything's, like, in the wrong place. <laughs> it's like, why is this over there? Why isn't this over here? How, why did you put this in a folder? And more often than not, she looks at me and goes... I don't know. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> so I don't know whether my daughters did it or, or it just happened randomly fell there. But she, she, I don't know that she's ever actually gone in and organized any of her icons. She just accepts where they are. But the problem is, is I, you know, I'll offer to go organize them for her. And she was like, no, I know where they are now. You know, this is how it's been. Yeah. <laughs> you don't move it around. That'll mess me up. <laughs> what, what I really love about the uh, uh, home screen, though, is the fact that I can go right in the middle of the screen and pull down a little bit, and it has serious suggestions. And these are all the apps that I use, and right now there's uh, 12 of them. Above. Uh-huh. So most of the time, everything I want is right there. You know? Mm-hmm. But, and, and there's a search. It's, it's in a position to search, so I can type there, just like it said uh, under that their library app. They had a search for the various right. apps that you could do. Yeah, swiping it, but here you can do it all all as well anyway. So just just search, 
Yeah. It's either pick one that you recently used or or hit one or two buttons and you can find the, the next yeah. one. I use that search so. an awful lot, especially on my phone. My phone tends to be the, the device that I have like lots and lots and lots of stuff on. I have gone through and really cleaned up my iPad and I've got it down to just like two real screens of stuff that I use and I'm managing the amount of junk that I accumulate there more. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not sure why I got motivated to do it there and not necessarily on the phone. But um, so my iPad is a little bit cleaner in terms of just the amount of stuff that's on it. I have a couple pages and not every page is even completely full of icons. Whereas my phone, if I move a new icon into a new place, I have to I bump an icon, you know, to the next page because my pages are full. Um, Mm -hmm. I think part of it is because it's a smaller screen, so there's less on it, you know, Uh, you know, fewer columns and rows, Um, although they're much closer together. So, you know. There you go. Yeah. Um, but I also have, I uh, I have a couple of widgets. Like I have a widget. Um, it's called uh, uh, Widgery Do, and it's a basically a combo widget that shows um, the number of steps, the battery percentage, and the date in one little square, which is handy. And then at the top, I have the weather widget that goes all the way across the top of my screen, so it always shows me. Um, the current weather and uh, if there's like a wind advisory or anything like that and the weather for the next like six hours. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've, I've got a simplified weather thing that at least tells me outside temperature. That's the main thing I'm interested in Mm -hmm. and what's, whether there's any rain forecast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what mine is there for is just sort of see like, you know, like we're getting ready to go into some Santa Ana winds this today, actually. And so for those of you who live in Southern California, the Santa Ana winds come down through a, a narrow canyon from the north and they're they're coming off of the high desert. So they're usually cold winds and they can have sustained winds of 30 miles an hour and gusts up to 60. So it can be it can be, you know, like house damaging type of winds if you happen to be at that end of the canyon. But everybody gets the wind. And and very often a truck ends up on its side because uh-huh. it got blown over on one of those the road down the, the slope there. Yeah, yeah. They 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 put out high wind warnings and they say don't. Uh, I can't remember the exact term they use, but it's like high ca- profile vehicles. There you go. That's it. High profile vehicles. Be cautious in high profile vehicles. I, uh, I used to be a full time all profile vehicle. Yeah, exactly. You were you were definitely a high profile <laughs> vehicle driver. For a long time, so yeah, you had to be very aware of those kind of winds, because because yours was the worst kind of vehicle to be driving. You know, at least most big trucks, if they're loaded, they're really heavy, and so it's hard to tip them over. Yeah. But uh, an RV is mostly yeah. filled with air, and two and and, and a couple uh, passengers, right? So right. yeah, yeah, definitely got to be aware of that. So anyway, you know, it's it's we're we're going into the wind season. Most people have yeah. a rainy season. We have a wind season here and so it's going to be gusty and and my eyes have been like magnets for dust for years i i you know it's like when santa anna's come on i just live with the fact that mm. you know my eyes are going to be irritated and bothered by by grit and sand and pollen and <laughs> everything else that gets picked up and blown around um so yeah i have uh i, I have air filters in my house to try to keep the the dust down just because uh uh, By the way, allergies and eye know, issues. I don't know if you've noticed it, but we had the, some wealthy parishioner buy a whole new air filtering system for our church, and I'll tell you, it is absolutely noticeable. Yeah, it, it, 
the air in the church now absolutely smells wonderful. Right. It's it's clearly fresh air, and uh, I I don't know what they're doing, but it, I think it's one of those ion kind of uh-huh. where it charges the particles and yeah. gets everything out. It really cleans it up. Yeah, the negative ions cause the dust to fall, so it's not floating around in the air as much. And so I have one of those, and then I've got a couple uh, HEPA filters. Uh, I keep one but, here in my but, shack, and then I, I've got uh, you know a couple in the house. Large venues like sports mm-hmm. stadiums and stuff like that that are enclosed, yeah, uh, I think are really going to uh, be a market for that type of system from now on. Because yeah. when it comes down to it, the, all anything that's indoors that you want to do is always going to be threatened by the virus. So that's that's got a long-term uh, yeah. uh, impact on income. Yeah. Know? Well, and just the air quality in general has always been an issue for a lot of places, too. You know, the um, yeah. uh, having been a, a swim coach for a lot of years, indoor swimming pools, which there aren't a huge, huge number of them on the on the you know, southwest where I live. Oh um, man! But that man, the, can kill you. the air quality is terrible, and it's like you know I, they've been building indoor pools for years. Hasn't anybody figured out how to create an air handler that can get some fresh air in this place? Because you walk yeah, in yeah. and your eyes sting. You know, I mean, it's just yeah, yeah it's bad. Know, before this thing, this before this thing started, my wife and I belonged to the uh, Huntersville Swim Club. It uh-huh. uh, was exercise center part of it that we used. Right. But we actually did in pool exercises because of my foot problem. I could it was the only place where I could uh, uh, stand on my feet for any length of time because of right. the buoyancy. Yeah. And so we loved it. However, it had this chlorine problem, and I yeah. hesitated to go back over there because I don't know if they've solved that. But I'm thinking that someday I'm just going to drop by and say, "Have you fixed the chlorine problem in this pool?" Otherwise, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Well, was it chlorine problem in the pool or chlorine problem in the building? Uh, I don't know. You know what? I, well, what I'm saying is, is it? Were you complaining about like your 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 suit getting bleached, or were you complaining about the air quality? Oh, the air quality. Okay, so that's in the building, not necessarily the pool. In fact, they would prop the doors open at both ends of the pool so we could get yeah. fresh air in. To keep our eyes from watering. I've literally water. seen I've seen uh, indoor pools where they have bought big fans and they open the doors yeah. and put fans, you know, exhausting right. the air out of one side and sucking it on the other side to get fresh air in there. And I'm like, didn't the person who built this building with a big giant pool inside understand that? Why do they have to, that's after the fact, try to create that, these that, these workarounds? That's, right. that, that's it. Yeah, you, you said it. I just didn't get to the fan part, but we had that too. Yeah. Well, and it, and and we, and I said it because they're ubiquitous. Everybody who has an indoor pool has the same problem. And it's like, come on, this is a failure of engineering, a failure of architects to 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 not understand that when you've got a big, giant body of water that has to be chlorinated in order to be safe to use, is going to create a bunch of off gassing, which means you have to have a ventilation system that works. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just nuts. Yeah. Now, 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 I suspect. That if you the way I would approach it with, from a system engineering perspective is to, don't put all the blame on the room and the and the uh, filtration of air, but first of all look at what you're putting into the pool and say is it necessary that this stuff uh, outgas or is there a better way to right. uh, get to uh, have the water uh, con- contain a disinfectant that that you know doesn't. Well, the issue there is that most of that is mandated by law. 
you have to maintain a certain level of chlorine in a public pool facility. Well, laws laws can be changed when the t- when the time comes that there's better technology. Right, but you, as a person who's designing a building, have to know what the laws are while you're building the building. You can't say, "Well, no, we're not going to build the building until we can petition to have the law changed." Yeah. You know what the, const- yeah. the constraints are. Why is it that every single pool that I've ever been in that was indoors had bare, had, had awful air quality and, and doors you, open and fans? You know, it's like, really? See, it's, the, it's the users of the building that should be writing the requirements that, that I don't have to deal with this problem. See, they, the buildings, the rules, the specifications of the state or oh you're so you're saying the person who built the building should be telling the engineers and the architects oh by the way i don't want the air quality in there so bad that we have to to open doors that's a requirement you don't think that that's incumbent on the people who are doing the design to know that and and build the building appropriately you're saying that the guy who hired the expert should be the one who tells them whoever whoever's paying the bill for the building they get to specify what its requirements are and, and they're, they're not looking out for their customer when they when they had you know went out and got a bid on this thing because I mean that's not abnormal. They that's, usually that's, are the customer. I think I think I think you're putting the I put the blame back on the engineers and the architects. I think they should understand when they're building a building what the constraints yeah. and needs are of the building and and in fact I think they're legally bound to understand what the air quality is inside that building. I know when they're building skyscrapers, they have to take that into effect, into uh, uh, account, and and you know I think that they're it's an abdication of their responsibility to not create a building but, that handles but, the air but, properly. But but then you have to say, uh, is, are those requirements retroactive, and that they have to retrofit those old buildings that were built before that? rule came into effect i didn't say before i just said when they're building it it's to my in my experience every single indoor pool that i've ever been in has that problem and so clearly nobody has figured out the right way to do it or or they're not willing to spend the money to do it one of the two yeah you know and or 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 here here's the flip side of that is i'm sure that the laws are written to say that there has to be a safe air quality right and 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 the key word there being safe that doesn't mean that it doesn't have to that it has to smell good right so i would guess that they would say that there's probably some regulation somewhere that they are in compliance with and so it's safe even though it's disgusting you know, so well, as an individual, I walk in and say, this place reeks of chlorine. This doesn't feel good to me. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily unsafe for me. Well, until they discover someday that everybody who was ever a swimmer for more than five or six years has come down with this lung problem. Right. You know? Yeah, especially if they then, swam in an indoor pool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we all do the best we can. But... Yeah. uh yeah, I, I just, you know, it, it's ironic, though, that your indoor pool experience mirrors what I've seen in indoor pools, you know. And, again, I don't go to that many indoor pools. But I, I remember being at a, at a swim meet in February in Las Vegas at an indoor pool. And, you know, it's it's like 50 degrees outside. It's cold with the wind blowing, whistling across the desert because it's high desert up there. People think of Vegas as mm-hmm. hot, but it's also pretty cold in the winter. And... uh uh, I mean, I've been there when the city was blanketed in snow, so it, it gets cold. Um, and swimmers would, like before and after their event, 
go stand outside in the cold because they could get fresh air in their lungs and then come in, yeah. swim their event, and then go back out in the cold to kind of, you know, catch their breath because, you know, you're huffing and puffing and you don't want to be huffing and puffing and breathing deep in a, in a building yeah. that, that just you feel like oh. you're, I mean, you literally feel like it burns your lungs when you breathe. And, and again, that may be technically safe. It may be technically safe, but it's it's uncomfortable and and unnecessary. Uh, I don't believe it's safe. I don't believe. I don't oh, believe I don't. I I don't either. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't believe it's safe either. Yeah, I, you know, I I'm being uh, overly kind. Yeah. I think, but uh, yeah, you know, and and clearly everybody there feels the same way. Thus, the open doors and the fans and the <laughs> like. Let's air this thing out. Um, yeah, you know. Well, so. on that note, Todd. Yeah. To, uh, After beating up the pool designers of the world, <laughs> and, and, and on a high note, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, that was great news. Yeah, we'll take it back to tech, and they probably designed it all on uh, an iPad, right? Because you can do that now. Because iPads are not just oh, for yeah. consumption anymore. <laughs> uh, boom, boom, yeah. boom, yeah. All right, we'll call it quits and say the end of the show today. We appreciate everybody for listening to Generation Tech. We want to encourage you to also listen to the other shows that are on our Shack Out Back Network. Two for Brew drops on Thursdays if you're interested in uh, brew pubs and brew pub technology and talk about different beers. Uh, that's on Thursdays, Two for Brew. And Two Minute Tech is available uh, three times a week. And they're literally just two minutes each, and they talk about different tips. Uh, as I pointed out earlier, I'm going to have a thing about how to view your highlights online. So when you highlight things in your Kindle books, you'll be able to uh, view those highlights. So listen to Two Minute Tech. That'll be in an upcoming episode. We appreciate your listening. Uh, have, a great, have a great week, Enjoy Dad. Today, Todd. Yeah, we'll talk to everybody soon. Bye. Oh, bye-bye.